Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We will consider verses 21 through 41, but we will take in the reading verses 24 through 29. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Please be seated. Ball of Confusion, that's the title for this morning's consideration, showcased before us in the behavior of these uh, pagan worshipers or idolatrous worshipers is a, a picture of the world in its confusion about spiritual things being alienated from Christ, sometimes, of course, through ignorance, other times through just sheer rejection. The natural world is our humanity in this fallen state. Without Christ, the natural man, the natural world. When the Bible speaks of the world, sometimes in context it's speaking of the earth. Other times it speaks of that uh, world order of thought which is against Christ. Now, each human being has at least two citizenships. You can have a citizen in heaven and earth as a believer or a citizenship on earth and in hell as one who rejects Christ. John, writing his first letter, says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And that is humanity and rejection, that world order. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We who believe have looked at what worldlings believe and we we reject their conclusions and have embraced Christ instead. The world has a problem, not a solution when it comes to the eternal state of man, but you can't tell them that. They don't want to hear that. And we're seeing it illustrated in, in just this story. It is the world that is confused about spiritual truth at best, and flat out in rejection of the revelation of Christ and the Bible, that's from the Old to the New Testament. 
So overall, the world is a ball of confusion about these things. Still, God offers those of the world salvation through Christ. It is available to, or made available <clears throat> through his people. And we know that. That's basic Christianity. When Christ made his prayer recorded in John 17, he very much spoke about the difference between those of the world and those who have come out of the world through him. And we pay attention to these things. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This, would, uh, this world, that is, has little to no use for the people of the Bible. And of course, we're not surprised by that, nor should we be uh, taken or distracted by that. It should cause us to be focused. I mean, we tend to be so surprised when we meet with hostility against our faith. And those of the world are not our enemies. We, we need to remember that. They are being used by our enemy. They are not our enemy, but they are being used by Satan, who, by definition of the very word Satan, are enemies of the people of God. They prefer their own ideas about God versus what God says. And, of course, then it gets into who says you're right and was the Bible true. And we should be ready for those things, a ready defense for everyone who asks a reason for the faith that is in us. Many of these same people who are hostile towards Christ are our loved ones oftentimes. And we continue to love them. And we continue to pray for them and look for opportunity to be useful to Christ and their salvation. One of the traps, I think, that is easy to fall into concerning a loved one is to suppose that we're the ones that are going to lead them to Christ. Uh, you may have forfeited that rightfully or wrongfully. It just may not be available for you to directly lead them to Christ. But you most certainly can be praying that God will send someone who can appeal to them and reach them with the truth. This is war, and we should be mature about this uh, and not have uh, just a, a narrow view but a broad view to how effective Christ can be. Now, I'd mentioned that the world prefers its own ideas about God. We, all, we know that. But we do need to hear it from time to time to be reminded what we're up against. For example, the Greeks and the Romans, the Romans just took the Greek gods and made them their own, uh, they, have, they had a god for every emotion. God of love, god of wrath, god of war, god of peace. I mean, they had all these gods they just kind of just thought up, which were really just humans, human emotions applied to their gods, attributes, and they were put on steroids. So the wrath of Zeus was wrath of any angry person, but it was a godlike figure, and so it was, of course, greater in, in that perspective. So they had a God for everything except one thing, truth. They had no God of truth. And the world is that way to this day. That's where we're supposed to come. That's why it's so important not to be cast as a wacky Christian. I mean, if they're going to call you crazy, let them back it up. And if they can't back it up, then that's, that's the goal. But if they can back it up, then we've got a problem. And there are many Christians who uh, they, they, they lead with their chin, it seems, their, their emotions, and, and not staying, you know, 
grounded in the word. And it's uh, something easy to do, but it's to be avoided. Well, just like the world today, in the days of Paul, they opposed Christ. That includes the world's religions. Just because a person is religious doesn't mean that they are saved or they are right. Such was the case in Ephesus. These people were quite fanatical about Diana. Uh, The merchants, of course, were making money from her. This was the tourist trade for them. But the people who bought these figurines and statues from them, they were very serious about their worship. And so let's see if we can peel back some points out of this that will be helpful to us as servants of Christ. And we look at verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. Well, the the converts they were making in Ephesus, through this man Paul, primarily, take him out of the picture and you really wouldn't, you'd have what we came across, that church that had not the spirit. But after Paul started praying for the spirit for them, transformed lives. And it became a strong church. Jesus warned this church later, if you don't fix this love with me, I'm going to take away your candle stand, your candle, your lamp. There's no, there are no Christians in the region of Ephesus today. He took it away. The only Christians that make it to Ephesus are on a tour trip. Uh, but so very serious warning from uh, uh, Revelation 3. But we read about this in the previous two verses, well, Acts 19, verses 19 and 20. Also, many of those who had practiced magic, now that's not sleight of hand, this was the occult, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They are very serious about their transformation. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Well, that's what we're seeing what Satan's response is to this, and Satan's going to make a response. It's not that shouldn't put fear into us. It alarms us to be ready for him, but we've not been given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. Paul, it continues here in verse 21, purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, I have, uh, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So here he is setting his sight on the seat of the Roman Empire. Paul is saying, I'm going to Rome and beyond. Because later he will write, not in Acts, uh, in Corinthians, I'm going to Spain also. We don't know if he made it there. It's another conversation. But there's a lot of interesting things here as a Christian and his humanity. So Macedonia and Achaia... We're in opposite direction of Jerusalem. So he wants to get to Jerusalem, so he goes in the opposite direction. Just like a man. Won't ask directions. Anyway, uh, he was not rushed. He was focused. He had a plan, very much led by the Spirit. And he longed to get to Jerusalem, but he had business to do on behalf of Jerusalem. And one of them was not only going back over Troas and then across to see the Aegean to uh, modern-day Greece, Macedonia, Corinth. Uh, Not only was he going to strengthen the believers, but he was taking a collection from the Gentile Christians to take 
to the Jerusalem Christians who were in great economic strain at this time. And uh, so he's taking the long way in order to make this collection. He goes to Corinth, and then he goes, well, let's back it up. First he went to Corinth, then he goes to Ephesus, and he says, I can't stay, got to go to Jerusalem, I'll be back. And from there, he heads to Israel, Caesarea by the sea, then Jerusalem, uneventful, onto Antioch, his home church, stays there a little while and says, I got to get moving again, heads out towards the churches that were, are in Asia Minor, which is Turkey, called Asia Minor in the scripture. And uh, he, he arrives again at Ephesus. And there he ministers for over three years. And at this, this is where we are in our story. He's about to leave Ephesus. And he's going to go again north to Macedonia, then Corinth, and then head towards Jerusalem. But before he goes to Jerusalem, he wants to, he's got to meet with the elders, the pastors in the church at Ephesus without going to Ephesus. So he sends advance notice, meet me in Miletus, which is 30 miles south of Ephesus. And that's, we're going to get that, that incredible chapter 20 of Acts Hopefully we begin it next session. I love that section so much. The humanity of this man and those Christians around him. The love, the way they loved on him and he on them. The focus of Christ always being paramount in their eyes. I, I can't wait to get Let's just do chapter 20 this morning. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll have to wait there for, before we get it. But he stops off at Miletus. They come to him. They all pray and, and go back about their business. He goes to Caesarea in Israel. Then south to Jerusalem. And then Rome. Paul saw himself going to Rome, not as a tourist, not even as an evangelist, because there was already a church there, but as an apostle, a leader in Christianity, not just a church. And he ended up in Rome as a prisoner. And we get to that 28th chapter of Acts, which I can't wait to get to. Let's just go to it now. So anyway, we, it's going to just be great when we get to, to how he was received. And so Paul saw himself going to Rome. And this, um, he writes about it. We catch it a little bit. About this time, when he goes, gets up to Corinth again, he's going to write to the Roman church. And we read about his heart towards this church he had never visited before. And uh, we pick it up in Romans chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Well, that will is going to be something he's not ready for, but he's prepared for it. In other words, he didn't see it coming, but he was ready for it when he goes as a prisoner. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, so that you may be established. This is just beautiful. That That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So you see him pouring out his heart. I love you guys. I've never met you. Or he probably knew some of them. Uh, but, he, he, you know, I, I make mention of you in my prayers all the time. And he wants to get there, but he just can't get there. He, he, but he will. Moses. Moses saw himself entering the promised land. 
as head of the armies of Israel. Well, that didn't happen. He has to wait over 1,500 years to get into the promised land, and there's no army with him. He's with the prophet Elijah. And so, but, but he's good with this. And this is the story of Christianity. So Paul, from Rome, planned to go past Rome unto Spain. Wherever he could find ministry, that's where he would go. So this man that we're considering, we, we, we want to, we perk up and say, I want to know about this man because I'm looking at someone whom God got hold of. We're not looking really at Paul. We can't miss him. But we look beyond him, as always, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without Christ, none of this would be happening. So verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Well, when Paul asked men to do something, they complied. He was very used to men doing what he asked. Apollos is sort of a hiccup, but we covered that, uh, and he seems to recover and is off about his business. Now, why, again, he, so he went to Macedonia. Why? He's collecting the funds to bring to Jerusalem for this urgent need. These were not offerings. This was a urgent need, free will offering within the church. When we get to that, uh, probably chapter 21, it's going to be noted, noteworthy that we don't hear anyone say to Paul, thank you. And we'll cover that uh, because, you know, we, we want those, those kind of things keep us humble and grateful and make us uh, mindful of how we ought to express gratitude. Gratitude's not a little thing. That's why the Bible's so many sections of praise. Praise is gratitude. You can't praise God if you're not grateful to God, and that forces you to think. What am I grateful for? Well, a lot of, a lot of you know, you want to be an angry old man or an angry old woman, start yelling at the clouds when you go outside? Just don't count your blessings. Ignore your blessings and focus on what you don't have, and you will be that cloud... Uh, you know, the enemy of the clouds. Anyway, verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. Well, I'm glad it says he was a silversmith who made shrines because I'm thinking he's just an old guy named Smith. With silver hair. Anyway, okay, that, that's, that was, well, I liked it. Anyhow, uh, Diana, the Greek goddess, the Romans call her Artemis. Some of your Bibles may translate it. That's the original. But uh, the New King James goes with Diana. She was the uh, virgin goddess of the moon. I'm sure she'd never been there. Uh, of hunting, of wild animals. So, you know, if you're one of those people that are into hunting, you, needed a, you had to have a patron god for everything. Well, she covered that one. That was, your emotions were there. I love hunting. I love animals. You know, they're a little cute and fuzzy and they bite you. Uh, but anyway, uh, the patron goddess of virginity, I just tacked things on to her. She had one of the favorites, incidentally, of all. When, when Demetrius says the whole world loves Diana, he wasn't kidding. It was not an understatement. So here Paul <clears throat> comes along uh, preaching the way of Christ. So long as men preach the way and it, it disturbs their thoughts, changes some of their habits. Long they could do that. But when it starts hitting their pocketbook, there's going to be an element that are going to rise up uh, very seriously. And this is what we're seeing in this section. Not the only reason to rise up against Christianity, but it is a big one. And uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, 
His first letter, the love of money, is a root of all evil, uh, all kinds of evil. And it's true, you chase it back, and it's like, it's always the money. Always about the money. With, you know, dirty politicians. Well, it's just not because they're not bathing. It's because the money. But uh, anyway, because how many of them go into Washington, you know, making I don't know, 200 grand a year, and they come out these multimillionaires? What happened? Did they hit lotto or something? Well, they did. You know, the lobbyists took care of them, for example. Anyway, uh, there were those hardliners, uh, and there always are, here in Ephesus, um, saying to Christianity what the demon said to Christ in the synagogue in Caesarea long ago, leave us alone. We're happy the way we are. And Christianity is always replying, just like Christ replied, be quiet and come out of him. And that's the struggle, the contest between the world and truth. And we are the ones that bring the truth. So this Diana, big business during uh, her spring festival, when you had an influx of pilgrims from all over the world coming to converging on this one of the seven wonders of the world, her temple. Uh, imagine if Christians went down to New Orleans and had such an impact that no one wanted any part of Mardi Gras again. Well, the merchants would be up in arms about that. Imagine if a, a college youth at spring break said, you know, we're going to skip spring break because we've now given our heart to the Lord. There's nothing there for us. Well, somebody's going to start attacking Christianity. Well, that's what Paul is facing here. He's hitting them in their pockets without even trying. He's just saving souls. The outcome is they don't want to be bothered with these little figurines. Verse 25, <clears throat> he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. So it wasn't, hey, he's messing with our God. Their God wasn't really Diana. It was mammon. It was money. This man. I mean, the, again, the people that bought the gods... You know, they, they again were serious about their worship to Diana. They they take some of them would take the little figurines made of silver and uh, give them offer them to the temple, and the priests would smelt down that silver, and that that was money, uh, and uh, it wasn't considered corruption, uh, and spiritually it was, but <clears throat> not to them. And so anyway, he he calls them together. Um, you know. Paul caught trouble from the Jews for dealing with the Sabbath and restrictions and the rabbinical Judaism and the departure from their own law. Here he's catching it, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> from Gentiles who are upset that he pulverized idolatry. How dare he say, you can't make a god to a man? Well, that's what he's doing and that's what they charged him with. Incidentally, the Jews today, in many circles, are very serious about still stacking up laws on their people, then, very cleverly, coming up with ways around the very laws they made. They're ingenious at this. I don't want to take too much time on it, but uh, if you ever dug into it, you're just scratching your head. Why not skip those steps? Read Galatians and Romans and Hebrews and come to Christ. You won't have all that junk. Well, anyway, uh, Demetrius, he can offer no proof of truth for his religion. All he can do is insist. Yeah, he enriched himself from this religion, but the fact is that um, insistence is not 
a presentation of truth. You can't just yell at somebody, I'm right, <laughs> and expect them to say, well, let me bow down to that idea that you just shared with us. Um, the city, uh, not only would the merchants be making money, the whole city would make money from these pilgrims coming in. It was an industry. <clears throat> what uh, Demetrius did not realize is that God would bless him personally without Diana and curse him personally with her. Is that not the message? I mean, you can, you know, you choose you this day who you're going to serve. This is a Christian message. And we have to try to put it in such a way to unbelievers that they get the point and not just hear us speak, that they get the point. And there's nothing wrong with asking, do you, asking them straight out, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Well, verse 26, moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So a successful ministry. When the Lord said, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, that is display, put on display when, when men imagine a god and just make them up. They're very sophisticated today. They don't need the statues. They just need the lifestyle. It's, it's oftentimes a lifestyle that uh, just uh, renounces Christ and upholds whatever it is they find that controlling influence of their life. What an inferior and pathetic view of a supreme being to have. To think that actually you can shape a God. You can create one. And their logic was that Men could make God with their hands. Jeremiah really had to deal with this. So did the others, but Jeremiah is one of the outstanding standing ones. Uh, we'll, I'll come back to a comment from, from Jeremiah as we move forward. Verse 27, so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed, whom all Asia at the world worship. <clears throat> well, that last statement is accurate. Uh, the, she was held in high regard. So he recognizes, Demetrius does, that the believers, the new converts to Christ, despised pagan associations. They called them for what they were. But Christ wasn't real to Demetrius, nor did he want him to be. And uh, the trade was already in disrepute in God's eyes, He's just bringing it forward in the eyes of, of people. So, uh, of course, they put money before uh, their worship, their eternal state. Her magnificent destroyed, he mentions this. Well, this temple, before it was built up to what it was at the time this was happening, this, that seven wonder of the world, um, it had already been destroyed. It's destroyed right now. It, I mean, well, it's, it's in ruins. Um, she was not magnificent to the Christians, and he resented that. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever, ha ever had success in the workplace or somewhere you find yourself uh, with sharing Christ, and then eventually somebody rises up to cause trouble. It can get you fired. It can you know, do a lot of things. It can, it's real. We don't just say, oh, don't worry, God will protect me through this. Well, he, he will in the same way he protected Paul when Paul got stoned or beaten with canes. I mean, we have no right to s suppose that we will come through our evangelism unscathed. 
we uh, all want to be ready for it and do well, whom all Asia worshipped. Yeah, in other words, one of the most popular goddesses was a sacred cow. And paganism, false religions, do not allow you to prove them false. But the, on the individual level, you certainly can. That's why Paul had these converts here. He, he did, he managed to lead people away from this, this life into the life of Christ. Uh, the world will worship that which has no basis in truth for a lot of reasons. And that's what separated us. So why should God let somebody in, like that into heaven? Why should God let someone who says, you know what, I, I, I kind of like lies. Well, they won't articulate it that way, but that's what they're doing. Uh, and that's a good question to ask an unbeliever. Well, uh, verse 28, and it's not, I don't want to make it sound simple because it is not. You can hit a person with all the truth in the world. It still comes down to they have to receive it. And I have met unbelievers, staunch unbelievers, who knew they had no defense against what I was saying to them, and they remained unbelievers nonetheless. Uh, that's on them. Well, verse 28, And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Greatest Diana of Ephesus. Well, there's a good response. Uh, so now it's, it's a us versus them kind of mentality. It's the stadium that they're going to end up in sat 24,000 people. Uh, this uproar shows how men alienated from God make all life center around this life only. They're just concerned with their money. Right now in this life, they have no concern for the future. Well, they don't believe it conveniently, so I don't believe there's a hell or that I'm going. And they come up with these paper tigers to protect their illogic. We see it, and we look back and say, you know what? I was once as blind too. That's why John Newton you know, wrote, penned the song, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. Well, it'd be good for us to remember how duped we were. And you, you raised in a Christian home, you're going to have to come to a point where Christ becomes yours. That you have to, you're going to have to face the doubts and deal with it head on. And maybe you'll only have to do it one time. And you knock that doubt down and you, you, you just trample it as you move forward in Christ. Don't sell your parents short. Don't think they're believing fairy tales. If they believed in fairy tales, they'd be putting nickels under your bed when you lost your teeth and quarters when you lost your mind. They they believe in a real God. And you've got to step up your game and take your place on the wall or you, 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 you seal your own damage and judgment if not careful. It's real business. Satan hates you have Christian parents. And he wants, he can, well, I can't take them out, but I can get you out because you're dumb enough. I can look at you and tell. That's his position. I have no comment on some of that, but don't. At an early age, you are expected to do battle. You are expected to hold your ground against a, a lying, dangerous enemy. Verse 29 And never forget that I said that. Whatever choice you made, you'll never forget the gist of that. Verse 29, so the whole city was filled with confusion. 
and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Well, <clears throat> this Gaius here is probably not the one we read about in chapter 20, because the Bible tells us where they're from. There's little things that make sense. I point them out. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica, and uh, he, he'll show up again in Scripture. Verse 30, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. <laughs> Unhand me, touch not God's anointed. I'm going in. I mean, that, that, that would have been dumb. Uh, well, he supposed I can talk him down. And we do that, don't we? You ever hear about somebody having maybe a marital problem and you say, boy, I'd like to talk to them. You're a fool. <laughs> if you think that you're going to ride in there with a white hat and, you know, uh, spew out logic, and they're going to go, oh, and then what? Uh, you are a fool. Uh, nobody should look to give spiritual advice on such troubles light, taken lightly. You're dealing with real problems. And to suppose that, well, they're just too dumb to figure it out without me, is quite presumptuous. Uh, so uh, what I'm saying, you know, fools go where angels tr fear to tread. Be sober-minded and not self-impressed. And understand that if God wants you to dole out some advice, he will open that door. You keep your hands off the knob. So uh, I, that's just wise advice. I know it's right, and I don't apologize for it. Uh, because if there were someone out there that could just march right in and give advice, we wouldn't have any more divorces. We'd just be calling them up. Hey, can you get down here real quick? Get them emergency vehicle status so they can get a siren, siren and lights. I know I say siren, but it's siren. Uh, I heard a guy this week talking about windows. <laughs> what are windows? <laughs> so, we all have something. And of those of you who have commanded the English language, we don't like you. <laughs> so, no. Jeremiah 50, verse 38. Jeremiah writes, you got to love these guys, man. They are insane with their idols. That, see, that's the word of God to us. If you just put that in a newspaper, we'd say, yeah, he's right. But when it comes from God, through one of his prophets, yes, God doesn't miss anything. He calls it like it is. And he's talking about the Chaldeans. Well, it applies to many places in history. You can go out to uh, places in this country, and they're insane with their celebration of humanity. You know, they have good, job, good paying jobs and they could have a real nice family unit, but they don't have any interest in Jesus Christ. They are insane with their idols. They have chosen other truths at the expense of the truth. Well, Paul, again, he probably felt responsible to some degree for this riot. Well, God caused the riot. Paul was just the instrument. And there will be others he will cause. Uh, verse 31 now, again, I should pause. Our goal is not to cause riots. Our, our, we are trying to save souls. But if in the process of that, we upset the apple cart, don't put the apples back on the cart. Let them do it. Uh, let's work for you. Verse 31, Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Well, this is going on for two hours. This, this ball of confusion... You know, some of them know, what are we even protesting? Never mind, I like shouting. And, and they just go, go to it. These are Asiarchs, the city officials, 
And their reaction and concern over these events demonstrate the severe nature of their civil unrest. Uh, They understand that, you know, Demetrius, what you're causing here, you can bring down legions of Rome. Uh, We'll come back to that one, too. It says here in verse 31, who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Well, these were high officials that were friends of Paul. This adds to the reason why Satan's wrath was so much against what was happening in Ephesus, why God was doing these extraordinary miracles there. They were making progress. And this, the fact that he had government officials friendly with him, as opposed to in Philippi, uh, we read in 1 Corinthians, he's, when he writes about this, he says, For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. He's talking about Ephesus. And that effective door would include such, such characters. Because if you've got people at the top on your side, you get a lot done a lot faster. And if you don't have them on your side, you, you have a more difficult struggle. In fact, in Philippi, Paul left. Um, he, but he left a solid church behind him. Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another. Well, we come across that, do we not? People, I have one reason why I don't believe in Christ, and this has got another reason why. And they have their little reason why they believe in their God, and they don't match. Uh, there's not based on truth. So, you know, don't confuse me with facts. My mind is made up, sort of a response. He says, for the assembly, verse 32, was confused. Ergo, the magnificent title given to this consideration. This ball of confusion. That's what the world is. is a, that was in a song. And the name of the song was, as I remember, ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. Yeah, yeah. That's how the lyrics went. Anyway, most of them did not know why they had come together. Well, most of them don't know why they reject Christ today. You ever come across somebody who thinks they know what Christianity is and doesn't have a clue? And you can't find them for it. That would be 50 bucks for biblical ignorance in America. Come on, hand it over. That would be great. Anyway... The whole world is filled with confusion about eternity. Low information protesters is what we're seeing here. We see them here in America also. Uh, that's what they're made from, uh, people who don't care about the facts because it's easier to, to feel than it is to think. And, and, and you youngins need to learn that early on. You, you, if, you, if you go with your feelings not, and not logic, you sacrifice reason to imagination. And that kind of imagination is evil from your youth. So Luke indicates that these were false waves of confusion because they didn't even know why they were there. That doesn't mean they're less dangerous because they're ignorant. Man is allowed knowledge by God. Any knowledge man has in the natural realm, God has opened it up for him. Science, technology, engineering, etc., but spiritually speaking, it, uh, it's a little different. Knowledge of, God's com- the knowledge of God comes through, through submission to God by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's, that's, there are a few exceptions to that. But spiritually speaking, uh, this is critical. So we read Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One 
is understanding. Knowing God is to get the point. The world says, yeah, well, how much do you make? What's your portfolio like? That's them will decide whether you're smart or not. Because they think if you make money, you must know everything. It's so dumb, right? Just, which, which of you would, would let someone like, uh, uh, I like Elon Musk from what I know of him, but I wouldn't want him to work on my teeth or, you know, I wouldn't even want him to give me a, a shot with a hypodermic. Uh, so, you know, but but the world actually, you know, the churches do it too. Somebody comes to the church and they're a doctor. Ooh, we got a place on the board for you because you must know what you're talking about. It's just, it's just illogical. Anyway, uh, the reason why people are appointed to high positions in Christianity is because God tells the leaders that's the ideal way. It's God tells them this one uh, will work well for this this area. Anyhow, verse thirty three, and they drew Alexander. Out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people about Alexander. The Jews say, hey, look, you get up there, and you make sure these people know that we Jews have nothing to do with this Paul and this Christianity. We have nothing to do. We don't want a pogrom here where we're getting persecuted for these guys. And that's, they wanted to point out the separation of Christianity. Uh, a lot of Christians don't know that Judaism and Christianity are irreconcilable. Uh, and so they'll, you know, they'll buy a press shawl and use it, thinking it's, you know, they're, because they're confused about the two. Not that that's necessarily evil, but you shouldn't be confused about this. We have three pronounced letters in the New Testament that tell us we're not, Jew, we're not uh, under rabbinical Judaism, and that part of the Old Testament that we are under matches the part of the New Testament that upholds it. And those letters are Romans, Galatians, and uh, Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews and not, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick out an ethnic group. I'm so tempted. I got like five of them, but it would sound like, eh, that's a slur. But I don't care if people think it's a slur because it's not. If we don't have a letter to the Mexicans. We don't have a letter to the Irish. Uh, there's a reason why we don't have a letter. We have one to the Ephesians, but that's not an ethnic group. That's a city, a church. There's a reason why an ethnic group is singled out. And uh, we should know. It's not tricky. It's not hard. It's not offensive either. It's just, this is the way it is. Well, anyway, a mob has many heads, no brains. That's what a mob is. That's what he is facing. Uh, the Jews, of course, they refuse to worship Diana on account of their exclusive worship to Yahweh. We side with them on, on that against idolatry. Uh, and this is one reason why the world and Christians are worldwide resented. Because we don't say, it doesn't matter what you believe. It does matters everything what you believe. And uh, anyway, uh, this is Old Testament teaching. We believe as the Jews that Worshipping Diana is tantamount to worshiping, worshiping uh, the, the product of a demon's, demon's thoughts. Deuteronomy 32.17, speaking of those who are outside of the law of Moses, the Jewish people following their scripture, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. You're worshiping things that Moses would have nothing, uh, Abraham would have nothing to do with. Uh, these Johnny come lately, so well, they're a product of imagination. 
Well, this is upheld in New Testament Christianity. That's what I mean by the, the Old Testament is every bit the word of God that the New Testament is. But there still is an outline, these dispensations, these periods of emphasis that God has laid out for us, and they're not hard to, to understand. So 1 Corinthians, Paul, who knew Deuteronomy 32, 17, writes to that church, rather the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Now he's talking about anybody who is worshiping, of course, man-made gods. He says, and not to God. They're worshiping demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons, you nitwits. Okay, he didn't say that, but for effect, that's what's there. Lovingly. You can love a nitwit. I know, people love me. Anyway, good cover-up, Rick. You come, good come, you, you handle that one well. I know that. Anyway, verse 4. I mean, uh, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, this is for the end times. This just goes to tell you, there's no broken activity with the demons. They're hard at work to the end. Now, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's apostasy. He doesn't say, well, they're once saved. He doesn't say, get into that. He just tells you right out. They were in the faith. They departed from the faith. You want to debate that? Have at it. I'm going with what that says. He says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The demons have doctrine. It's all wrong. And their doctrine is, let's populate hell. God is trying to populate heaven. Let's try to fill up hell. And that's the war. And we see this into the book of Revelation. In the tribulation period. The madness. They're insane with their idols. And an idol, idolatry essentially is man making up things about God. Paganism is worshiping created things. But the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons. And idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And so he's saying... These people that are worshiping, making up things to worship, you just put them in the same category with those who used to worship lumps of clay. Incidentally, archaeologists have found many clay figurines of Diana. No silver. Well, because again, it's that valuable. Let's just melt it down and take the money. Uh, and, and that would explain it very logically. Verse 35, and when the, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell from Zeus? They believe this. No one believes this today. You will not find a person that says, I worship the goddess Diana, but I, I also don't worship Christ, so I worship this. It's just as damning. Well, the clerk, this clerk, Ephesus belonging to Rome, managed the reports back and forth. They gave account to Rome. He was the mayor and the representative between the empire and uh, these conquered people. And that's what they were. And so uh, the, these uh, 
You know, false religions, they don't have a Genesis. Genesis 1, what is not to believe in Genesis 1? And the false ones they have, they cannot account for their beginning. So what he says here, well, Zeus, you know, she, she came from Zeus. Where did Zeus come from? And where did he get this mean attitude, harming people with his wrath? So they can't account for that. And eventually, uh, it, it died. So we look at this and we say, look at that. The temple of Diana, now worship, is gone. The church in Ephesus is gone. God is saying, I am no respecter of persons. I don't care who you are. There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a consequence and there's mercy. Because if you just tell me there's a consequence for stumbling, I'm done. We're all done. But if you say, but there's mercy with God. That means he's got every right to zap you and he is not going to. Because you've got this relationship. Now, that can be abused and pressed too far. We're not talking about lawlessness. We're talking about the reality of God. The way he handles his people is astounding. And he makes this invitation to all. Anyway, therefore, verse 36, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Why could they not be denied? Well, it's a sacred cow. That's why you can't touch it. We have sacred cows in Christianity. Things that people have just brought in and you can't criticize it. You can't even use the Bible to address it. <clears throat> you just have to accept it. I counsel you not to do the Easter egg thing. That comes out of this. This, this pagan goddess. This is the goddess of fertility. It's just celebrable. You say, what does the egg and the, and the bunny have to do with it? Well, the bunny is that harmless thing that multiplies like rabbits. Well, I mean, because if you said, well, it multiplies like elephants, you know, that's no problem. But, you know, rabbits are prolific. Anyway, uh, they have no basis for their claim. Insistence is no valid presentation of the truth. And that's what he's stomping his foot down. You have to believe me. Anyway, almost done. Verse 37. For you have brought these men. I should suppose, you know, when I see that way, well, I'm only 30 minutes into this. I feel like, man, I've got like two hours left. And then I look up, oh, man, I'm already over. Sorry. Verse 37, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. 38, therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and the proconsuls let them bring charges against one another. So he said the Christians have committed no crime. And uh, you have to give a credit to the authorities for, for coming to that conclusion, even though this particular one thinks highly, seems to think highly of Diana. Or Anyway, verse 39. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. Verse 40. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this orderly, disorderly gathering. Rome was, was heavy-handed against civil obedience. You know, the Black Lives Matter and Tifa and other anarchists, they would have been wiped out day one. They would have had enough time to live until the legions show up. And that would have been it. The government officials here, the government officials in our own societies that, you know, oh, they tell the cops, don't bother the bad guys. Um, those misfits and miscreant leaders, 
They would have been recalled to Rome. They would have been disciplined, possibly banished, more likely executed. Uh, Rome did not tolerate that. Rome fell uh, because of her just like her own licentiousness. She just sort of just got swallowed up by her own, like like Sodom and Gomorrah, because of their prosperity. Anyway, uh, the fear of Romans legions was valid. Verse forty one. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He said, "Now go home." Well, again, uh, it, this is a, a peaceful ending. Paul will now head back up to Macedonia, where he will write letters, and then to Corinth, and then Miletus. We get Miletus next chapter. I'm so looking forward to I hope I don't mess it up. So, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for teaching us more about Jesus and our role as those who love him, saved by him. We pray that uh, we do something with this information. Uh, If not today, in time, that these things add up to your glory. That we do preach your word. That we do face the, the attacks of hell in a noble fashion according to you. You've been listening and the Holy Spirit of God has been talking to you in your heart. But you've not ever opened your heart up to him. You have an opportunity right now. In an instant, you can make, you can make your own day right with God. In an instant, all your, the judgment for all your sin can be washed away. You say, it sounds too good to be true. And God doesn't think so. God just thinks it's true. It's not free. It cost him persecution and the cross. But it's made available to you. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you should know there are people in this church, for sure, praying that those who are lost in their sins would be saved from judgment and give their lives to Christ. If you say this prayer with me, it is an excellent template, one of many. God will receive you. He will honor it because he has established this. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess with my mouth that I have broken your commandments and I am guilty before you. I ask you to forgive me, to pardon me. I come to your cross where you died to take away my sin. And I give my life to you. I believe by faith, faith built on enough information, to know that you rose again from the dead because you are powerful enough. And death could not keep you. And the resurrection proves that Sin cannot keep me from you. I can come. I come to you. I give you my life right here now. I ask that from this moment forward, you be not only the one that saves me from judgment for my sin, but also you rule over my life from this day forward. And now, Father, if anyone's made this prayer, we pray that they're not ashamed of it, that they make their confession when invited. In Jesus' name, we ask you these things. Amen.